Welcome to the Awakening Shalom Podcast. The Awakening Shalom Podcast is an opportunity for digital faith formation at Myers Park Baptist Church that accompanies the Awakening Series, a year-long journey of exploration and discernment which invites all people to come learn about the current social justice issues of the day and how they impact our faith. What we are awakening to is Shalom. The Hebrew word for the peace and beauty that exists when we are living in right relationship with God, ourselves, other human beings, and all created things. Welcome back to episode four of the podcast, Earth Justice Podcast. I'm Mia McLean, and I'm here with... Ben. Ben and we are we are getting into the final episode. We're going to wrap up some things, get into some some new issues as we close out this particular podcast series. Um, but as always, we want to open up with a few shout outs to some organizations of the week. Um, and these organizations are all doing the work of earth justice in various ways. So I'd like to shout out Emerging Ecology. I heard about them a few months ago. I haven't gotten a chance to actually communicate with them. They are definitely a mom-and-pop small operation, cool. right, talking about grassroots. So That's neat. Um, they may not have the fanciest of the websites with all the contact info, <laughs> but no, that's real because people are wanting to do the work and organizing, yeah. but it's really hard sometimes to get in contact with them. But I wanted to shout them out anyway. They are based here in North Carolina, right, in Greensboro. Cool. Yeah, um, and their mission is... They would like to foster an individual and collective worldview that enhances opportunities for resolving current economic, social, and environmental issues Mm. by integrating contemporary ecological understandings, in-depth personal experiences, and effective societal practices. Emerging ecology programs programs enhance opportunities for creativity and effectiveness in the 21st century context. Hmm. Um, and hmm. so what they a lot of the work that they do is about storytelling. And so they have these what they call universe story walks where they take people on walks through nature and, and talk and tell stories about the land. How awesome um, is yeah. that? Yeah, they, they sound also, amazing. They do. And they partner. They want to partner with people. So they're not doing this work on yes. their own. They're saying, OK, if you come to us with a group of kids or a school group who, who you would like hmm. us to help, you know, um, uh, spread this information. Um we were open to partnering. So they're not necessarily an organization that's producing event after event after right. event. They're, if you reach out, they will reach work back. With you. Yes. That's cool. Um, but I really love the idea of storytelling and really getting out in nature. And they do a lot of youth centered things as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, that's actually very indigenous of them. Yeah. To do it that way because the story, the, the, the fact that the land has a story. Yeah. Even that idea in and of itself is sort mm-hmm. of revolutionary. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so look into them if you're interested. We can always, you know, get a group together and make some contacts and mm-hmm. go on a field trip to Greensboro. Um, could be a possible pilgrimage. Per, could be. Location. It could be a part of it. Mm-hmm. It could be a part of it. They're they're doing some good stuff out there. Okay. Um, and our next our next group, which many of you probably know of, is the Climate Reality Project, yeah. um, founded by Al Gore. 
Who's Al Gore? <laughs> it seems like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> the former presidential candidate. Oh, remember he had an election stolen from him. That, I remember that. Yeah, like, that just was, like seems Land. like a while ago. Oh, oh my we're goodness. Getting, we're getting too deep too you soon. You are already First getting of all. ready to start a, start a discussion. Um, so Al Gore founded this. Um, actually, we're going to have a speaker here in November, a couple of weeks. November 10th, John Aiken will be giving a presentation. He Great. is part of the Climate Reality Project chapter here in North Carolina. Wow. Um, and so they're mission is to catalyze a global solution to the climate crisis by making urgent access a necessity across every level of society. Mm, urgent action. Urgent Love action, it. right. And so their their thing is we're greenhouse, you know, cutting greenhouse gas, right? So um, they're yeah. going for they're going for the Trump administration, mm-hmm. right? Radical and fossil fuel agenda. You need to update your agenda. So they're <laughs> they're all about policy. Right, mm-hmm. so you're. I mean, so we That's talked smart. a little bit about creation, care, and climate crisis, climate yeah. justice. They're going the policy route with climate reality projects, saying this is a real thing. Yeah, it's happening, and we're actually going to take uh, action um, in the political arena. You know what's interesting about these two organizations that we're giving a shout out to, Emerging Ecology and Climate Reality Project. They both talk about how the solution is not metal straws. Huh. The solution is not personal responsibility yeah. only yeah. or a heavy emphasis on personal responsibility like if we all stopped eating bur- burgers is the article I read all the time. <laughs> you know, It's like somehow if we all stopped eating meat, then suddenly our world would be saved. Yeah. If we all started using metal straws. These are good things. I'm not saying you shouldn't do them. Right. Right? But actually if you don't affect policy, nothing is going to change. Yeah. The solution is collective. It yeah. is corporate. It is political. Mm-hmm. It is social. It is not individual. And this is this is the same lesson we learn in every discussion of every justice issue mm-hmm. is that when we keep saying, you know – we can solve the problem of racism if we just sit down and have dinner with our black mm-hmm. and white friends yeah. and all, all racism is going to go away. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be nice if that was true? Yeah. It's not going to go away that way. It's systemic. It is social. It is political. Mm-hmm. You know, and the same is true of the environmental justice issue. You cannot solve it with just personal responsibility. No. No. And so we've got to get people thinking, yes, do your work individually and don't think that's going to solve all the problems. You've got to get out there and do some work socially. You've got mm-hmm. to get involved with one of these organizations that we've been giving shout outs to. Right. That right. are trying to change either change the narrative, affect policy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, come up with social solutions to the problem. Yeah. That, you know. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because I, I keep hearing all this like I saw some guy today say – if somebody sits down with you, this is on Facebook. If somebody sits down with you and pulls out a metal straw at a dinner, how soon do you leave? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's much more than that, and that yeah. was kind of my frustration a few months ago. It's like I get it, and I and I want to comply, and we also know that as much as we can say we're not using plastic, everything we buy from the store is wrapped in plastic, and so we have. If we really wanted to stop using plastic, we would have to actually go. Lobby, yeah. you know, to to get to these companies and say, hey, we need to yeah, have another solution. Yeah, stop making plastic. Yeah, when their entire business model is based off making plastic. Yeah, and they've got lobbyists in the government right. making sure that they can continue to make plastic. Right, and dump whatever chemicals come off the plastic wherever they want to dump the chemicals. It's all it's systemic. You can't solve it with just right. not using plastic bags at Whole Foods. Right. That is not going to solve the problem. Right. You know, I, this when you talked about it, it was reminding me of the fact that we've talked about these generational divides. It is not a coincidence that. 
my school was having me sing a song about teaching my mother and my brother to recycle mm-hmm. when in, in the 80s because that was the height – not to get overly philosophical and political here, but that was the height of neoliberal economic policies, which mm-hmm. do two things. One is they make – they privatize everything. They deindustrialize. And they um, – and as they're privatizing and deindustrializing everything, right, giving all the tax breaks that you can imagine. This is the mm-hmm. era of trickle-down economics, which by the way has been proven false a thousand times now. So go look it up if you mm-hmm. haven't figured that out yet. And while that was happening, part of the ideology was that everybody's an individual. Hmm. So they're trying to teach personal responsibility while everything is systemic Mm -hmm. and things are actually becoming more systemic while they're teaching personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. So everybody gets out of the 80s and 90s and they think, oh, you know what? It's all about recycling. If we do that, things are going to change. Meanwhile, the coal companies have been deregulated. Right. Right? Right. And industry has been deregulated. Farming. I mean, the the, the fight that small farmers are having, right? right? And everything has been privatized. It's the same. It's it's sort of a – it's really – it's almost – Criminal, if you think about it, looking back, like the the, the philosophy of, of neoliberalism is is this sort of deregulation, while at the same time telling everybody the problem is personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> it's a trap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's exactly a trap. Every single. T- it doesn't it, mean that personal responsibility is not important. Of course it is. But it but, feeds our ego too. Th- those uh, of us who are not really me, because I'm probably a slacker, but those <laughs> who are actually really big on personal responsibility, I only eat certain things and I don't yes. use any. Pla- There's a sort of ego. E- you know, I don't know how to say it, but it's like it, it feeds or, the ego. It actually, it feeds our self righteousness. Yeah, in an unhealthy way. Yeah, we're like, look at my metal straws. Why don't you have them? Right. That's personal responsibility to a hundredth degree, right? right. And I'm going to shame you for not. Mm-hmm. You mean you showed up with a styrofoam cup, mm-hmm. right? Not even recognizing sort of the privilege of that whole conversation right. of coming from. So personal responsibility actually leads to privilege, which is the very thing that people don't think personal responsibility is about. But mm-hmm. it actually makes particularly white privilege, a lot worse yeah. um, by talking about personal responsibility. It's a trap. It's a, yeah. it's a sort of avoiding politics and social stuff. And every time we talk about these organizations, I think about – I just love that first line from Emerging Ecology, foster an individual and collective worldview mm-hmm. that enhances opportunities for resolving current economic, social, and environmental issues. If it was just fostering an individual worldview, that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I thank you for um, listening to all of our shout-outs, and I hope that you will plug in somewhere. Yes, get involved. Get in where you fit in because that's very important. Is that like a thing, get, get in, in where, where you, you fit in? in. Yeah. You I love that. that. <laughs> no, I've never heard that. Nice. Um, Nia is teaching me stuff I mean, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here with the, with the quips today. So <laughs> let's dive in. So I have, a, I have a question, Ben. Okay. What's the question? What's God got to do with it? <laughs> Look at you singing. I love it. You weren't ready. I was not ready. No, I'm not ready. So the question is, what's, what does God have to do with it? I just want to stop right there for a second and just say, I'm such a good singer. You know, I mean, you're okay, oh. but I'm really good, you know? Don't okay. you think? I mean, I think, you know, you, yeah. I'm lying. Mm-hmm. I'm lying. You were great. You, you can should, self-select you should sing way more yes. than I do. Because <laughs> Maybe a little talents. bit later on we get into some of the other topics today. Okay, well... Um, What's God got to do with what, Mia? With with this conversation, with environmental justice, with earth justice, with climate crisis. I mean, the people want to know how yeah. this intersects with faith, or else we just kind of become another we're just, ethical yeah. or moral society. We're just another justice organization, right, social right, justice, non-profit. non-profit. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'll take a stab. Okay. Um, so in, in the Christian tradition and in many other 
traditions, God is the creator mm-hmm. of this everything that yeah. we are here with mm-hmm. humans, animals, the land itself, trees, birds, the whole universe, water, water creatures, all of it. Mm-hmm. And so, to be quite frank, every act of violence against the creation is an act of violence against the creator. Hmm. Hmm. I, I mean, I don't even need to quote scripture for you there. Yeah. I mean, that's just basic moral philosophy. Yeah. If God is the creator, every time you chop down a tree, you've hurt God. Yeah. I mean, unless you're using it for a good purpose and not deforesting, right? It's different than just taking one tree. But yeah. but there are moral implications. If creation is, I mean, some you know, echo theologians, echo feminists think that the earth is God's body, mm. the universe is God's body. You know, yeah. so harm against the universe is 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 harm against God's body. Um, so I think <clears throat> I think we start there. You know. Okay. Then we got to start talking about Jesus eventually if we're followers. Um, but that's the – to me, it starts with this idea that we are hurting the very thing that God created. Yeah. And that is about as offensive. That's got to be probably the most offensive thing that you could possibly do. You know, you're taking what God has called good and you are either disrespecting, destroying, mm-hmm. um, uh, hurting – and for our own gain, I would I would add for our own gain because right. I do I do think that this is where we get into the fine line of well what is hurting if I need to eat then okay. what is yeah. what is hurting if I really need you know I'm I'm, I'm a hunter gatherer right. I really need sure. to eat so I have to I have to kill whatever animal that's in my that's in my path right. versus um, I'm trying to make a profit off of mm. killing animals so that I can be wealthy. Right, so that I can be right. a millionaire or a billionaire. Right, I'm right. I'm breeding them just to kill them. I'm not actually caring for them and having relationship with them while while we're sharing the land together. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, and uh, some of our listeners are probably not going to like this, but Christianity also suffers from the problem that I mentioned earlier of personal responsibility versus systemic injustice. Mm-hmm. And if we think the question is, um, well. If I eat an animal, am I sinning? We've totally missed the boat. Yeah. We're already lost. Yeah. Because that is not the question. Yeah. Because it's not just about one individual eating or not eating a hamburger or cheeseburger mm-hmm. and whether that's kosher or ethical or not. Yeah. It's really about, like you said, a corporation making millions off of dehuman like uh, off of the mistreatment of chickens so that they're easier to raise and easier to kill and easier to make a profit off of right mm-hmm. um or a corporation um destroying the land because they don't have anywhere else to dump the the waste from the product from the production of you know getting renewable resources out of the earth or non-renewable resources mm-hmm. out of the earth mm-hmm. or um, or thinking about oil company spills, and I mean, just I, we could go on and on. Yeah. These are corporate, and usually those can be solved through policy. Mm-hmm. Governments have a role here. States do have a role in curbing environmental catastrophe mm-hmm. because there's no. <laughs> this is where I love this. This is where libertarians are going to get me on this one. But there is there's no power strong enough to stop a corporation except for a government. Mm. So without a state, without a strong state, you cannot protect human beings from cor- corporate greed. You just can't. Yeah. And greed is violent towards individuals, 
human beings, animals. Corporate greed destroys the earth. It destroys people. It destroys animals. Destroys mm-hmm. what we eat. Destroys the water. So um, without a big state, a strong state. Now I'm not saying an inflated one that's pork barrel spending. I'm talking about a state that is clearly out for caring for human beings and animals and creation itself, earth itself. There's no one that can curb the greed of corporations who are going to do what they can get away with. Mm-hmm. That is just the nature of humanity, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think this – to get back into faith a little bit, one of the things that we end up doing in all – about all ethical questions is we, we end up making them overly individualistic. The mm-hmm. question we ask is, is it a sin for me too? And I think the question we ought to be asking is, what does it mean to live in community? Hmm. Because yeah. I think that's what Jesus is about. Jesus is about the common humanity of all people sharing and living it together. Yeah. Which is why if you get into the context of the things going on with Jesus, he's always dealing with a context where somebody who is, who's sick, it's not just about some people walking by a sick guy or walking by a person on the street. It's about the social context around that. Why is this person excluded? Mm-hmm. Well, they're excluded because there's this honor-shame culture. Mm-hmm. that has been created over time that excludes certain people based for particular kind of arbitrary reasons or not arbitrary reasons, for other reasons. Yeah. And Jesus is attacking the cultural systems of injustice, not just saying you should treat this guy nicely. Yeah. It's not just love your, love your neighbor is not just like be kind and bring chocolate once a year. <laughs> it's like yeah. love your neighbor means make sure your neighbor is not getting treated unjustly by an inhumane healthcare system. And then your neighbor could be the earth, right? right. Loving and your, your neighbor, neighbor could sharing, be – You're sharing the space. It, your neighbor is the chicken. Yeah. Your neighbor is chickens. Your neighbor is cows. Your neighbor is – we learned that our neighbors are the pigs for sure mm-hmm. on our pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Our neighbors are photoplankton, we yeah. learned. Our neighbors yeah. are whales. Our neighbors are deer and owls and birds and bees, mm-hmm. as you talked about in a sermon. And those are our neighbors too. Yeah. You know, we, we think about neighbors only as humans, but they are. And the land itself is our – Actually, the land is more than our neighbor. This is part of what we lost. Like much of the Bible has a, contains within it an, an indigenous vision. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the Hebrew people did not see themselves as distinct from the land, which is why the Babylonian destruction of Israel is devastating, not for the loss of the buildings, but the loss of the land that was their home, mm-hmm. that they were one with. And yeah. why is it so important that God gave them land? Half the, half the Old Testament, half the Hebrew Bible is about God giving them the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey and how great this wonderful mm-hmm. land is going to be. Mm-hmm. Why is it so important? Because land was – it's a part of who they are as a people. Mm-hmm. They become united together and so the land is the neighbor. Actually, the land is more than neighbor. Land is more neighbor than human beings are neighbor in some ways, yeah. in some cultures, the way yeah. you think about it. Um, it's sort of one with you. There's no distinction between you and the land. You, you know, right? So, so what happens when that land is is taken away from you? What happens to you if you if there you if there is no lose, distinction? You become broken. You're unwhole. Yeah. You're not whole. Yeah. If that happens, you have a loss at, yeah. at the core of your identity, who you who you are. Yeah. You know that's why. Babel, the Babel, that hymn. What's this? What's the psalm where they sing? Why am I singing the songs of Babylon? I singing the songs. My, my, why? How long will I sing these songs in a strange land? They're singing the songs of Israel, mm. but they're singing them in Babylon. Mm. I, you know, I, I I went down to the river and wept or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, singing the songs of Israel and singing the songs of Zion in Babylon. 
Why is that awful? Well, because the songs themselves are songs from the land. Yeah. The land gave you the song. The yeah. land is a part of the song. All the songs in the Bible have Zion in them and Jerusalem mm-hmm. in them and Israel in them. Mm-hmm. They're singing about the land itself, yeah. not the nation state as we think. Yeah. They're like, oh, look, why are they singing about Israel so much? Why well, they really like their nation? You mm-hmm. know, they're nationalists. No, that, that's very, that's very modern. Yeah, it's, yeah, very, it's modern. very modern. Yeah, yeah. we, you know, we, it would be like me saying, you know, I, just this mountain I live on. I love this mountain so much. It's more mm-hmm. like that than yeah. it is like, you know, I love America. Right, right, right. So, I mean, I think that's where, that's part of it. That's part of what, I mean, what do you think God has well, to do with it? <laughs> Am I allowed well, to reverse the question? No, yes, everything. So I was at this um, – I was at the climate strike back in September um, and, you know, these kids are out here protesting and, mm. and saying, you know, mm. government, pay attention to us. Pay attention to the world. The, you know, the climate is changing. We're not going to be here 50 years from now if right. we don't start acting in the right direction. Um, and so the whole time while these kids, these teenagers are out there um, raising their voices for justice, there's this counter protester in the background who is screaming, Jesus saves, like the entire protest. It was just like, I mean, you know, nobody Wait, was paying him was that mind. Just, is that just the, like the, the Charlotte Jesus saves guy? Maybe. I mean, I don't yeah, There's co- a guy in Charlotte yeah. that just shouts I'm sure, Jesus but he, saves he was, all the time. He was primely positioned, Ugh. you know, where the protest was uh, mm-hmm. for and he was the just climate shouting, strike. Just Jesus shouting saves. over, I mean, you know, to the point where it's like, okay, maybe he does this every day. But, he does. I think he does. Right. He does it all all over pride. But for too. right, for right, but for the sake of these kids organizing, he couldn't have moved or he couldn't mm-hmm. have but I think the mm-hmm. point was he was trying to say that their efforts were futile because Jesus is the real savior and that there's nothing that we can do. Yeah. All this talk about the earth ending and climate change and give your life to right. Christ, right? right? Basically, you know, so before right. before it all ends and um and well, so Well, that's really interesting because I think I think people imagine that the Jesus saves guy is kind of a novelty, like a Charlotte novelty yeah. act. It's like, oh, isn't it cool we have this guy who just gets out and says Jesus saves. It really wasn't cool that day. Mm. Maybe maybe every other time people are just kind of like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But particularly that day when these kids are trying to do something peaceful on the government steps, right? Yeah. And this I mean, what does it say is, to youth who are already probably not going right. to church anywhere? Or, that the one right. religious person who shows up self-identified as a religious tries to shout over them that the existential crisis it's that they're having is not real because they just need to give their life to Jesus. Right, right. Oh. And so, you know, all of us, all of us who can tell who are like, you know, in Ooh. ministry, we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, <laughs> giving right. us a bad exactly. name. Um, it's like when Franklin Graham wakes up in the morning, we're like, oh, God, <laughs> it's like he's breathing. Right, giving us a bad name. But right. So but but what, what the Arthurs were saying were that, you know. You can believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. You can believe in whatever version of salvation you believe in, and you can also believe that the climate is in in crisis. Yes, right. You can believe that the Earth demands yeah. justice, right? And you can. They're not. They're not uh, right. working against each other, right? Um, and I think that it's very hard for us in this country to really see that because there's been such this push for a separation of of um, a church and state. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think what indigenous cultures teach us is that we have to bring those together, that yeah. there is no separation. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to uh, – I hadn't thought about salvation until you kind of brought that up. But, you know, what are we going to be sa- – what do we need to be saved from is an interesting question. Mm. Um, and I would say what we need to be saved from is judgment. <laughs> but what I think of as judgment is simply – 
can't remember who I, I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast. I, I read somewhere, it might be Carl Bart or somebody who said, judgment is basically just human beings getting the consequences of their actions. Not, okay. It's not God's punishment. It's hmm. just human beings receiving or experiencing the full consequences of their actions with no grace. Hmm. And I thought, boy, that's a, that's a heck of a definition. Yeah. And um, if that's true, then then what apocalypse it could be is simply us receiving or experiencing the full consequences of the devastation of creation that we have been engaged in. Hmm. And so what are we trying to get saved from? That's what we're trying to get saved from. Yeah. And what 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 does salvation look like? It isn't escape, right? As yeah. Keller tried to t- teach us. Right. It's not escape. It's actually changing behavior in such a way that you create beloved community with all things instead of creating a disposable planet that you think you're going to survive the consequences of its devastation. You know, right. it's two different paths. Right. Right. And and so I think sometimes we have to think about what do we mean by salvation? Is it all otherworldly? Has our right. salvation be, just begun, become totally otherworldly? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I, I mean, I would like to jump into a few of the pop culture Ooh. things that we've been listening to and reading yeah. um, related to this issue of environmental injustice. I always think it's important to kind of bring those examples in. Mm -hmm. Um, These are the stories that you're watching on TV. These are the podcasts that you're listening to. (laughs) Um, And so they're they're very relevant. Um, One of the articles that I've been reading lately has been about the indigenous Australian community. Hmm. Um, These people have been fighting the United Nations. They had to bring their case to the United Nations because they've been fighting the Australian government for a really long time. The Wangan and Jagalingu people. Yes. Um, and so they are the, the classic example of indigenous people being kicked off their land for uh, monetary gain. Mm. So this Indian billionaire is, is wanting to build the Carmichael coal mine and rail link on their land. Mm. Um, and what their biggest concern is this will destroy their springs and the springs are their most sacred site. They believe that they are one with water, that w- water is who they are. Water is their connection to the divine. And this, this company coming in trying to make an extra billion dollars is destroying yeah. their, their sacred site. Um, and so they had uh. to bring their case after being denied by the, their local government, by their country's government. They had to bring their case to the U.N. And e- essentially the project is moving forward. Mm. And the United Nations can't stop it? I mean, it's still it's still up for it. debate. I mean, they're still protesting. They're still bringing their case to the UN, but you know, Australian government has green lighted the mm. project over a year ago, and so um, you know they're still fighting. They they said they will not stop fighting, but the reality is that, that you know when you are indigenous people, yeah. where are your deeds? Who you know who own who own the land? You can't. It's not like you're selling your land to somebody. They're just taking it from you. Right. Yeah, and that's where the the concept of private property becomes very problematic. Yeah, related to people who uh, did not have that concept and lived on the land sustainably and harmoniously for generations, but did not claim it as a form of capital, mm. and therefore have no way to defend ownership of it in a capitalist global mm. economy. Yeah, and therefore uh, it, this is just another one of the ways in which capitalism has harmed indigenous peoples as it, as it, uh, as it has for many generations. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty disgusting. I th- I, when you said that, I was reminded of the indigenous um, tribes that are defending the Amazon mm-hmm. and the, that is on fire. That's right. Right? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm trying, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher these names, but I think it's the Wayapi people in the in Brazil mm-hmm. who are defending the Amazon. They've had some big wins. Yeah. Um, but then of course it's you know it's been still on fire. Yeah. You know. And of course the Amazon is a, a very important um a natural resource for the world. Yeah. It used to be called the lungs of the world. Now yeah. now I kind of think the lungs might be phytoplankton. But anyway. Yes, not we've learned something from Catherine Keller that we weren't <laughs> expecting to learn about yes. that. But yeah. they still contribute to right. the majority a, a well, lot of our there oxygen. Are like yeah. lots of things in the Amazon that you can't find anywhere else in the world. Certain Gosh. species, yeah. um, certain kinds of cures, medicine, all kinds of things that come from there that you can't get anywhere else and so we, I, you know, we stand in support of the Waiapi people and, and those who are trying to defend land uh, because, in fact, what we're learning now as we go through this process is that every group that is trying to defend land, everything from Dakota Access Pipeline mm-hmm. to the Waiapi people in the Amazon are actually trying to save all our lives. Yeah. They are working for our salvation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And they're trying to save their culture. And they, I think one of the biggest arguments yeah. about the indigenous Australian population is that they're like, our culture is land. So what are we going to teach our children about mm. who we are, about our faith, if this land is taken from us? Mm. God, yeah, that's a shame. And I think because we are so used to living in a society where we have been trained to believe that our faith and our culture are separate from wherever yeah. we are in terms of the earth. Right. We we don't. I mean, I don't think I can actually fully grasp what they're going through. Well, one one I think um, derempted or ugly way you, we can relate in America as first worlders mm-hmm. is the feeling we all had when the twin towers went down and we watched on TV. Because even though we don't have land the way they have land. Their relationship to land and ours is not the same. Mm -hmm. Watching these great buildings that we've created for ourselves that Mm. are standing on top of land that we think we own Mm. tumble and fall at the hands of someone else's violence made us all sick for years Mm -hmm. to the point where we came together, I'm using air quotes, uh, (laughs) as a nation, you know, only in order to go to war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, and and kill more people out of re- revenge for what we experience, torture and violence. Um, so I, I just, but I do think that that mm. kind of collective gasp. I'm not. I do think it was natural. It was sort of like a natural, like <gasps> you know, like that's that's ours. How yeah. dare you? Yeah. How dare you? That be. It's probably some somewhere in some sort of gross and sort of Western capitalist American way. Some in some echo of how an indigenous person in the Amazon would see, feel about their their forest on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the only way I think we can relate is seeing our buildings uh, and the things we built on the land. Mm-hmm. Because we don't, we're not connected to the land itself the way they are. Right. We're not actually connected. Our buildings to the trees. have become God. Our buildings are right. Our gods. Have become divine. Yeah, some things that we worship. Right. This is why we have this big debate in Charlotte about who's going to build the next biggest skyscraper because they're all trying to one up each other. Because that's right. beca- that's people's gods. Uh, the things they're building. Yeah, and during the uh, during the uprising, um, as soon as one of the windows of the first floor of the Wells Fargo or the Bank of America building, the next day the National Guard was here. Mm-hmm. 
They were mm-hmm. here and, and they were stationed. I was up on the streets protesting with the protesters that night. I will never forget walking by and seeing the police in SWAT hurting protesters. But the National Guard was stationed in front of all the buildings protecting the buildings. Yeah. They were not actually allowed to engage with human beings. That was for the police. But they, if someone tried to break a building, the National Guard could intervene. So I remember walking by the NASCAR the big NASCAR mm-hmm. building and seeing a, you know, a National Guard person out in front, you know. And I thought, that's very telling. Okay, what are we here to protect? Yeah, that's telling. They're land protectors too, but they're not the they're they're colonialist land protectors. Yeah, and they're here to protect the buildings and the precious resource that the buildings are. And the buildings, it's sort of like when you sell your you can buy a piece of land in Charlotte without a house on it, and you can buy a piece of land with a house on it, and it's not that much different. You know, between buying it with or without the house on it, a few, mm-hmm. th- a few hundred thousand dollars, based yeah. on depending on how, what the house is, because the land itself is valuable. Yeah, the land itself has a capital. So it, there is, I think, this sense that our yeah, to you, I like the way you put that. Our buildings are our gods. Yeah, that's, that's what we've shown. That's what we've proven to care about here. Um, in this country, is 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 yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if and the planes, not the land. Yeah, so like, what if the planes had not had like hit out in a midwestern field somewhere? Would it have? I mean, it wouldn't have killed as many people, obviously. I think but, that. I mean, that's a, that's a huge. That's a huge. You know. Yeah, but um, it's interesting that our. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the way I think. Um, the only way I think we in our sort of Western first world position can relate at all mm-hmm. is that it'd be like us losing. Our homes, literally, and the land that they're on and all the buildings that we've helped to build, whether it be our workplace uh, or our churches. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a reason there's there's some people invest a lot of sacredness into the sanctuaries and churches Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. architecture. Mm -hmm. Or like if Panther Stadium were to blow up tomorrow for some reason, people would be upset. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. Um... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, 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 didn't, I mean we're I off on kind of a tangent, but yeah, we, yeah, no, yeah, this is this is important because I, you know, I know I'm I'm trying to under, I'm trying to imagine, and of course I'm upset about about this and about the indigenous fight that keeps going unnoticed. And one of the things that author uh, Dina Jillia Whitaker, who will be with us in April, yes, um, we're so excited yes, about her coming. One of the um, things that she says in her book, as long as the grass grows, is that. Indigenous people have a different sort of fight for justice, environmental mm-hmm. justice, mm-hmm. right? Whereas even in Warren County, although their fight failed at the time, right, that they yeah. still ended up dumping toxic waste in their neighborhood, um, they still had a sort of claim to the land because of deeds. They own property. Mm-hmm. It's kind of this property mm-hmm. ownership mm-hmm. piece, right? Whereas if you are part of an indigenous tribe that is not a fe- that's not a federal federally recognized tribe, or you don't okay. you don't have the, the same kind of ownership in, in American ownership of your land, it's really much harder to fight. It's right. really hard. I mean, right now the Lumbee people in Eastern uh, North Carolina fighting this Atlantic mm-hmm. pipeline. It's like it's really hard to fight because they're fighting for their land, but other people live on their land and, and have deeds. Actually, oh, think they own their think land. they own it, right? Think so they they're fighting it. for their sacred land, and yeah. it's also other people living on that land as well. Yeah, and then you start to have to, have to ask yourself some questions about what's real, right? Mm-hmm. What's really true? And uh, like, <laughs> I don't know. This is just how my crazy philosophical mind sometimes works, I start thinking, okay, if my job, if or my mission, one of my goals as a person who's a follower of Jesus is to get to the truth of things, you know, seek the truth and mm. it will set you free, 
you know, or that's Jesus. Uh, but, you know, as, as Malcolm X said, I, I'm for truth no matter who tells it. Mm-hmm. And I'm for justice no matter who it's for or against. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we believe that, then what's true? Is it true that the Lumbee owned the land? Hmm. Or is it true that the corporation that came many years later and bought the land from somebody who owned the land, from somebody who owned the land, from somebody who owned the mm-hmm. land, from some white settler colonialist who took the land, who does the land really belong who to? Who does it belong What's to? What's the truth? It's, you could say the truth is both. But does it, does the truth matter? I mean, if well, if yeah. if, um, if Leviticus 25 tells us to mm. return the land, mm-hmm. does, it really, does it matter who? Who we're returning it to? I mean, like, who? no, no. I mean, if you practice jubilee, it's going back to its original. Well, who is the original inhabitant? You know, in, in jubilee, in, in the Leviticus twenty-five, they knew what tribe originally owned the land. Mm-hmm. You know, so they could do some kind of jubilee work there. Yeah, we don't really know, yeah. except to go back to the indigenous community mm-hmm. that occupy the land. Yeah, you know. Um, because so and so took it from so from a tribe, you know, in some deal maybe, or just took it violently, or was given it by the government, right? Mm-hmm. And then over generations, bought and sold it a thousand times, maybe a hundred thousand times, mm-hmm. and now uh, an indigenous community says, you know, that's our land, yeah, uh, and continues to try to claim that land. What is the truth? And I, the, you know, you can say, well, we live in a cl- capitalist com- commu- uh, a cl- capitalist economy, so the truth is. Who are, and we and we live in a community of laws, mm. so um, whatever the law is of the land now, and whatever the capitalist economy would say, that's the truth. Yeah. But I just I believe in a different truth, yeah. so I have to start thinking about things like who who really does own that does land. Anybody, and I don't even think that indigenous people are saying we own. They don't, yeah, they don't. They're own saying it. that. I mean, it's, this is we it's are actually one with part of us. Yes. Yeah. So you've we, taken like like my child. Yeah, we are one with it. And, yeah. and perhaps if we were treating it right, mm-hmm. they wouldn't even be so concerned. Mm-hmm. But the fact is we're building things and we're digging places that are destroying their springs, which was a part of their spiritual culture. And now – Right. Right. It was lo- sort of like when I was a child, somehow I got into my brain, you don't dig – maybe it was a horror movie or something. You don't dig in an indigenous burial ground. Mm. And why don't you? Because it's sacred. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so there were these lawsuits where people would like they bought a house and then they didn't realize that they bought a house on an indigenous burial ground and then they couldn't actually build there. Right. And they had to figure out what to do with it. And it was like a big thing or whatever. Um, But it's not just the burial ground. It's not the it's not the bones of the deceased that make the land sacred. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the land itself has sacred significance. Yeah. You know. Um, it, the only way to think about it is to, as a Westerner, is to imagine all the land, the trees, the animals, the birds, and everything on it as their church, mm. as or even more than church, as like a limb, as mm. an arm, as a part of the family, yeah. you know. And if you if you had if it had that kind of sacredness, you know, how would you treat it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Ownership is not an even a ca- – yeah, I can't believe I used ownership. Ownership wouldn't even be a category that an indigenous community would think about with the land because right. you can't possess something that sort of is a part of you that possesses you in some right. ways. Right, you know? it's a Yeah, it's a relationship and a partnership. Yeah. 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 And we have – what we've done is instead of turning – thinking about creation as a relationship, we've we've created this like it's, – it's, it's a utility. Yeah. 
It's for yeah. our use. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <sighs> mm. So what are some of the other pop culture things that have been coming up for you as we've been going through these episodes, talking about environmental justice? Well, I, first of all, I was thinking about all the... Uh, I was thinking about all the apocalypse movies when when Catherine was here. I was thinking about like uh, all the Judgment Day movies, uh-huh. the Terminator movies, and the uh, and like the, the one um, with Will Smith. Um, oh yeah, Independence Day. The other one with Will Smith. Um, oh, and um, Legend. Le- I am Legend. <laughs> yes. yes. Gosh, he likes apocalyptic movies. He does okay. like apocalyptic. <laughs> and um, there's a lot with Nicolas Cage. Uh, where he's like, it's like the end of the world, and mm-hmm. he's like saving two or three people as the world's burning. Right. You know? For what? Where are y'all going? They're, three they're, everything's going to be dead. <laughs> and I was thinking about all the apocalyptic shows, too, also. So, like, Game of Thrones, you may know that. I may have mentioned this before. Game of <laughs> yes. Thrones is a metaphor about climate change. So, the hmm. uh, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So, you can read where George Martin talks about this, where he, he um, where the the winter is coming uh-huh is and they're the white walkers are a metaphor for a another ice age right okay and they're coming and what's happening is that all the nations all the all the areas king's landing all the all the tribes all the communities the dothraki they're all too busy warring with each other to come together to fight the White Walkers. And so the White Walkers are going to kill them all. And it's a metaphor for like if the nations of the world don't realize that their biggest fight at hand that's going to kill everybody is climate change and they, and they don't turn and try to sta- stand the tide against the wall, then they're going to lose. And it's like all these nations fighting and killing each other. So anyway, that's a metaphor. It's supposed to be a metaphor for climate change. Interesting. Um, I've never heard that. You never I've, heard I've that? never watched Game of Thrones, but still, I've never heard anybody talk about it like that. Yeah. Well, okay. one day you will. And, yeah. you're gonna, and, you're gonna, and when you're watching it, it's going to give you a whole new layer it will. of meaning. It will. So eventually in the – well, I, won't, I don't want to spoil it for you. But they do, they, do fight some, they do fight the White Walkers at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so that – I thought about that and I thought about like like Walking Dead and the fascination with zombies and mm-hmm. zombie apocalypse, mm-hmm. right, of happening. It's so all these apocalyptic things and so I think there's a lot of uh, – like apocalypse is an imaginative um, and creative and artistic way for human beings to process through existential crisis. Mm-hmm. And so that's what a lot of those movies are about. What what would it be like the day after tomorrow if it, everything – just shut down. Shut you know. down. Yeah. And yeah. Back to survival. There's sort of like a romanticism about it, right? Where yeah. like we would like we're just rugged Americans. It's usually there's some tough guy or in the in the movie that yeah. like takes his family and puts him in a truck and drives through the ice storm. Mm-hmm. You know, this like heroic sort of thing, as if somehow we're going to survive freezing cold temperatures right. in a truck. Right. We're all going to be dead. You know, it's like <laughs> um, it's rom- it's a romanticized uh, pro- way of processing the existential crisis. To say we'll just have to lose everything and go back to the basics, and we'll be okay. Mm. Uh, we'll rebuild. We'll rebuild our civilization afterwards. Mm. But I don't think it's going to work like that no, if it really happens. No, no. So that's that comes up for me. Huh. The other thing that comes up for me, of course, is Pocahontas, <laughs> the movie. <laughs> I, I mean, I watch a lot of Disney movies because Lucy is nine and. <laughs> I've seen pretty much every cartoon animated movie that you could possibly imagine. Um, and I remember when I, when I watched Pocahontas as a kid, I did not notice that it had any kind of uh, critique of hmm. American exceptionalism and colonialism. I, I just loved the movie. I yeah, thought it was, it was fun. Yeah, it was a great movie, very fun. When but, did it come out? 
Oh, God, I'm, I'm gonna look it up. I'm looking it up. Okay. <laughs> well, you t- I'm gonna talk about okay. a part of the movie that I I bet nobody remembers. So I put it on for Lucy, and we're getting ready to watch it. And the first scene is this song that comes on, and it's called. I'm looking it up now, so I just get the title right. Um, it's I think it's called the Virginia Company. Mm-hmm. So they're they're all loading this ship, right? This is where Captain John Smith's going to get on the boat in in England, right? And yeah, it's called the Virginia Company, and and they're going to sail to Jamestown, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and so the the guys who are loading the boat start singing this song because they're called the Virginia Company. This group that's getting on the boat, mm-hmm. uh, and the group, well, that's who's also funding it. The Virginia Company is funding the trip up yeah. to Jamestown. Yeah. And the song lyrics are for glory, God, and gold. The Virginia Company, mm. and they keep singing that over and over. For glory, God, and gold. The Virginia Company, and. That is reprised once they actually land, you know, for glory, God, and gold, the Virginia Company. And they keep, they, keep, <laughs> they keep saying that over and over again. And, I, and as I was watching with Lucy, I realized, oh, my God, this is a critique of colonialism. This is a critique mm-hmm. of colonial expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting on this boat, and they have combined God and gold. And wealth. Wealth mm-hmm. and capital and mm-hmm. land. And this idea that they were going to come to this new world and discover gold, which uh-huh. was a part of the fascination for all these explorers, is is written into it. And so their Christianity, their faith, and their pursuit of wealth and discovery are written already together there in the movie. And they're doing a great job through song of trying to help you see this. But you wouldn't pick it up on it if you're like six, we, we, like we Lucy. were. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, I was just singing you know, along. You're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's go get some gold and see what happens, right? Yeah. You know, and they, the other thing they do, this is really interesting, is that they, they uh, and I'm not sure how accurate this is in the movie, but they portray each civilization. So they, they have the Virginia Company people kind of singing their song, mm-hmm. and then they have the indigenous community singing, singing their, their song. I remember that part. About their people and what yes. they're doing on, and they're working on, you know, building their civilization mm-hmm. and farming and agriculture and fishing and they had just been back from war and you know there's all this mm-hmm. all of that's going mm-hmm. on there and they so they're trying to kind of compare these two together <sighs> yeah and then they have some other awful songs in between <laughs> then some other awful songs and then the great one the great one colors of the wind i mean that song it's such a critique right it yeah. is it's a critique of of colonialism it's a critique of john smith it's pocahontas saying you don't get it yeah you don't get it. No. You don't understand my relationship with the land. Earth. You just don't get it. Yeah. She says, okay, I'll do a, a quick snippet. Yes. Tucker Pearsall. Because <laughs> Tucker sends us music from time to time. Uh, you think you own whatever land you land on. Mm. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. Okay, I'm done. Oh, well right, done. Tucker, are you happy? Yeah, I'm so happy. I'm thrilled, honestly. If you would continue, there are a few okay. more verses. You know, we... I got to um, say, people are going to be asking for you to sing a lot more than me from now on. Okay. <laughs> so, like, at the beginning, like, he's challenging her. He yeah. says the word. He says this. He, he calls her... 
the S word, a savage. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what's that mean? You think I'm like, why? You know, yeah. you're here with a gun looking for gold. Who's savage? Yeah. She says that to him. It's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. The, the dialogue between the two of them. And of course, he's played by Mel Gibson. And so you really just want her to go at it. Now, <laughs> when you watch it now, you're like, just get him. Yeah. Get him. Yeah. We didn't even know how racist he was. Yeah. Right. But the lyrics are amazing. You know, that, the verse right after that where she says, you think the only people who are people are the people who look and think like you. Mm-hmm. But if you walk in the footsteps of a stranger, you'll learn things you never knew you never knew. Excellent what writing. a lyric, right? Excellent writing. Was this Alan Minkin? This is excellent writing. Yes, it's Alan Minkin. Of course uh, it's Alan Minkin. <laughs> um, but no, but I mean, we, we, we laugh and joke about Disney, but, mm. the, the, you know, they were telling a lot of truths that when completely that movie came out in 95, I was six. It went over my head. So, yeah. um, and now I was we 15 and it went over my head. <laughs> <laughs> now we're looking back and we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They had yeah. this one. This yeah. is one of those moments where Disney just nailed it. Like yeah. you, you, other times, Disney's more colonialist than anybody. Yeah, <laughs> so it's absolutely. like for them to have an anti colonialist movie, really, really, I think the way it kind of plays out at the end. She does teach John Smith like a lesson. She does yeah. kind of get through to him, or at least that's the way they play it. And of course, it's not historically accurate. No, but not at all. that's not the point. The yeah. point is for for us to see her as brilliant, mm-hmm. right, and smart, and generous, and kind, and 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 uh, but listening to the I mean, when the tree comes alive in the movie, yeah, the her tree, closest partner is a tree. It comes alive and like speaks her to her. I mean, th- this is. Yeah. Well, and the wind yeah. blows like yeah. you know, the wind blows through and she can hear, mm. she can hear. That's the other thing. Her story is in the wind. Mm. Remember her calling. Yeah. Every every good Disney movie for a princess has a call story in yeah. it. It's like the prophets. Mm-hmm. All of them are like prophets. Interesting. So, and You're her, really into this Disney. I love Disney. Thing. Cri- yes. Yeah, I love critiquing pop culture. But anyway, so her call story comes in the wind. So the tree says to her, like, listen. And then the then the, the wind comes through. And remember, I don't know if you noticed this. She magically learns how to understand John Smith in his own language. Hmm. Because the wind, the land itself gives her this sort of special power to be able to hear him. Yeah. And so she can understand him and communicate with him. He can't, he didn't learn, he doesn't learn her language. Yeah. She's able to communicate with him because of the, because of her connection to nature itself, the connection to the land, to the earth, to the wind. And it speaks her story. It keeps saying to her this little thing about kind of preparing her for what she's going to do. And that's how she realizes that John Smith has come uh, and she's mm. going to be the one that's going to connect with him in this mm. new culture that has appeared out of nowhere. Her call story her call story is literally on the wind. It's kind of like Moana. Moana's call story is in the wind too, in this some ways. A, this is a sermon. We're gonna we're gonna pin this for a sermon. Material. I can preach on Pocahontas. <laughs> we're gonna pin yeah. this. Yes, yes. And I'm not talking about Elizabeth Warren either. Sorry, yes. Donald Trump. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm talking about the real Pocahontas. Yes, we're talking about the yeah. well, no, the Disney well, one. The Disney, <laughs> the Disney one. No, I don't yes. even know anything. I don't know much about. It. I mean, I know the real Pocahontas though is tied uh, to the story of race in a very particular way. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and some of the one drop rules start to become important based on the relationship that Pocahontas had and the children and her ancestors, mm-hmm. and we start yeah. seeing some of the early forms of. You know, racism toward indigenous folks as well as black folks mm-hmm. uh, early on in the Jamestown story. The Jamestown story is both a story of indigenous genocide and, and, and the story slavery. of slavery. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Um, and so some, here's some of the, uh, before we wrap up, some of the yeah. other ways in, in which this comes to life in pop culture. So there's this podcast, 1619. You should listen Speaking to it. Speaking which, 1619 is also related to Jamestown. It is. Right? Oh, wow. That's a nice segue. Look at the connections. That's right. Um, and so it's, it's cel- honoring the 400 years since the first enslaved Africans were brought to Jamestown. Yep. Um, and so they have five episodes now, and they, they go through different topics, but episode four and five are about, um, I won't do any spoiler alerts, but it's about... Um, it's about what we've been talking about on the podcast mm. related to um, kind of the ways in which systemic issues have prevented certain people from operating on land in the ways yes. that they've been used to. Yeah, that's right. And I, we would strongly encourage you to listen to the podcast. But and 1619 is more than a podcast. It's a series from the New York Times. You can buy a New yeah. York Times magazine with all the articles that they yeah. did related to the 400th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the podcast was really captivating. I mean, I, I do too. <laughs> I do just the way they do it and curate. It's haunting almost. Yeah, it's very haunting. The the kind of the the nature sound through, mm. not just this episode, but the, throughout. You hear kind of like life sounds yeah. throughout the episodes. Um, but it, it really deals with a lot of hard truths that I mean I've heard before, but yeah. to hear it on a podcast has been important to to hear it again. Did you listen to the one about music? The it was three. I think it was episode three or I listened to all of them so one, far. Okay. But yeah, it's the one about. It was the one about like he he was singing a bunch of blue white white singers singing blues yeah, in the seventies. Yes, yes. Oh yeah, that was yes. so fascinating. Yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah, but this this particular farming one is two parts. They have to do right. it in two parts because it's really deep. It's really heavy. So I really encourage you to listen to it when you have some time. Um, and it's also um, I wouldn't say it's the basis of the the series Queen Sugar, but there are mm. a lot of similarities. So mm-hmm. I don't want to get in trouble with Ava DuVernay, but. Mm. Tell me um, about what's about what's Queen, Queen Sugar, Sugar um, based in Louisiana, as well as the people in that episode sixteen nineteen. Mm. So right outside Louisiana, this black family owns this sugar farm, this yeah. cane farm, right? Yeah. So um, the father dies, the, the the prodigal daughter comes home from L.A. Mm. and decides to stay and help her her siblings take care of the farm. Mm. There is this, these big corporations around that own all the land around. The farm mm-hmm. that have bigger oper- sugarcane operations mm-hmm. who want the land from them, but they won't sell it. So they do all the things that are mentioned in this podcast to try to get the land back. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they they go to banks and say, "Don't don't give them a loan." They go, you know, they they do mm-hmm. things like the the they will somebody will send somebody to burn the crop in the middle of the in the middle of the what? so that they burn all the cane. Right, that happened. So I don't want to give too many spoilers. You should go watch Queen Sugar. It's on Hulu, mm. um, and probably Netflix Netflix as well. But um, kind of a similar similar storyline. So I wouldn't be surprised if Ava was kind of ahead of the game with the sixteen nineteen yes. thing and had already talked. Of course to this. she is. I mean, she probably is. So <laughs> of course she is. Um, she makes the New York Times look like a conservative journal. Yeah, she's she's, she's way fabulous, out there. Right. Yeah, she's um, so. This is some, some of the ways in this conversation shows up in pop culture. So I just yeah. want to point y'all in the right direction. I think people need to pay attention. I mean, that's part of what we're trying to do with the Awakening series is mm-hmm. give people a chance to open their eyes yeah. and see this stuff in real life. Yeah. You know, whether it be racial injustice, immigrant injustice, whether it be about the body and the ways the body is being treated unjustly mm-hmm. and shows up health care gender, sexual identity issues, mm-hmm. or, or or like we talked about on the Proudcast and other things, keep your eyes open. I mean, that's the point of our why we do these podcasts is to see it, help people see the world in a new way with new eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's it for the Earth Justice series. This is it. This is it Episode for now. Four. <laughs> um, I have one more shout out before I leave, a shameless plug. We will mm. be having... 
a youth-led environmental justice forum on yes. November 2nd. Yes. So um, by the time support you listen Generation to this. Support Generation Z. Yes, support them. They're, they're, they're doing the work out here. It'll be featuring Little Miss Flint. She's coming all the way from Flint, mm. Michigan with her mother, and she'll be giving a keynote speech. Um, we will have some musical numbers and also just like a, a nice opportunity for young people to connect with each other who are right. doing similar work. So, some of these organizations that we were talking about are we'll going to be, be there, there with right. tables for you to get involved. Right. So if you've been listening to this podcast and you're trying to figure out what are you going to do to get involved, Involved in some helping do some environmental justice work. Now's the time yeah, to show bring up. Bring your kids. Yes. Yeah. It is a kid friendly event. Yes. So thank y'all for listening. Um, we will see you again in a new series. All right. All right.